3: Welcome to The Science of Success, the number one evidence-based growth podcast on the internet, bringing the world's top experts right to you. Introducing your hosts, Matt Bodner and Austin Fable.
2: Welcome to The Science of Success, the number one evidence-based growth podcast on the internet with over 5 million downloads and listeners in over 100 countries. My name is Austin Fable and welcome to the show. In this episode, we dive into a ton of topics with a returning guest, Kamal Ravikant. Kamal recently released his new updated and expanded version of his book, Love Yourself Like Your Life Depends On It, which is an incredible read. We dig into his new book, of course, but also how you can begin to really love yourself and what that means, how to control your mental chatter, breathing exercises he uses regularly, and much, much more. Now, are you a fan of the show, and have you been loving the guests, the interviews, and all the other great content we've put together for you? If so, let's get you some more. Go now to www.successpodcast.com and sign up for our email list today. You'll get tons of curated content, notifications about what's happening on the show, and even get our free course called How to Create Time for What Matters Most in Your Life. Go to www.successpodcast.com and sign up on the homepage, or... If you're on the go, just text the word SMARTER, that's S-M-A-R-T-E-R, to 44222. In our last episode, we dug into the science of changing your brain and supercharging your ability to learn with Dr. Rick Hansen. This week, we're sitting down with the legendary Kamal Ravikant. Kamal is the author of the best-selling books, Love Yourself Like Your Life Depends On It, Live Your Truth, and Rebirth. He has been a U.S. Army infantry soldier, held the hands of dying patients, climbed in the Himalayas, spoken to audiences around the globe, walked 550 miles across Spain, meditated with Tibetan monks, and has worked with some of the best people in Silicon Valley. Quite the rap But more than anything, he is passionate about writing books that improve lives. That's right. Humble gentleman, sir. He lives, for now, in New York City. And without further ado, here is my incredible conversation with Kamal Ravikant. And just a side note, real quick. I apologize in advance if this one got a little personal. Uh, We were not afraid to go off the rails a little bit. So with that precursor, gets a little out there. But I hope you enjoy and you're entertained and you learned a little something from our interview with Kamal Ravikant. Kamal, welcome back to the Science of Success. Thanks, man. Thank you for having me back. Yeah, I'm so excited. When I saw that you had released the revised and expanded edition of Love Yourself Like Your Life Depends On It, I definitely did not waste any time reaching out. But Kamal, for listeners who may not have heard our first interview on the show, just tell us a little bit about yourself, your story, and kind of just what led you to where you find yourself today.
4: Okay, I'll give you a very brief synopsis. Um, let's see, I grew up outside New York City with a single mom, two kids, my brother and I, and then went off to college for a year, dropped out of college, joined the U.S. Army, was uh, in the 10th Mountain Division as an infantry soldier. Then after that, went off to college, backpacked around the world for a bit, and then moved to Silicon Valley, started building startup companies. And that became my career, was just building tech Silicon Valley, you know, hardcore tech companies. And then at the same time, while I was building companies at night I was obsessively teaching myself how to be a better and better writer, studying Hemingway, studying the grades, how they do what they do, writing books, studying the publishers, publishers, collecting rejection letters, getting depressed for two months, then going back at it again, all the while while building companies. And what was it in twenty eleven, a company I was building where I was the CEO and the, the biggest investor in it? Three and a half, four years of the company blew up and I lost everything and I was living off credit cards. I'd lost everything i'd worked for the last decade financially and and i was in a very bad place and from that place in a, in a desperate vow to save myself i came up with a practice to work on my inside and that actually i ended up writing about a little book called love yourself like your life depends on it that i self-published on amazon and became a gen, one of amazon success stories and funny enough i had been teaching myself to write as a fiction writer all this time and now had the craft and instead, what i ended up writing was this a very simple little book from the heart, a, a very practical book. You know, coming from the startup world, it's all about practical, not theory, about how I literally taught myself, working my inside to love myself, and how anyone can do it step by step. Exactly what I did. That book, I get so many emails from people, you know, how to change their lives, save their lives, and I get a lot of questions. So last year, I spent about a year working on it, expanding it, because I really held a lot back. I didn't expect that book to take off the way it did, in all honesty. and. You know, really expanding it and answering the questions and, and so that this way, this would be the definitive manual, the definitive knowledge that I had and also all the response from readers and what I learned from them applying what I'd done. And published that Hopper Collins in January of 2020. And I'm getting amazing responses, how it's changing lives, saving lives. And, you know, so over the years, I've also written a novel called Rebirth, which is why I was on your show last time. And you know, I've another book called Live Your Truth, but the latest book is the one that was the original, but it's really, it's a different book. It's really like I wanted to write the soup to nuts manual on how to love yourself that I can give to anyone with pride. And it's also written as a story, most of it, so that because I believe we learn through stories, but in it is a section called the manual. So now you can apply what you learn the story, just follow the step-by-step directions on how to work on your inside so that your inside shifts, which is what the whole game is about, if you ask me. And also on the side, I run a venture firm. I built a, a venture capital firm and starting in 2013, I think. And it does very well. I invest in you know, the world that I know well, which is Silicon Valley startups. And so I get to work with you know, the best entrepreneurs who are creating the future, which is kind of fun. I think that should catch you up.
2: Yeah, well, that's a great synopsis. I, I appreciate the detail. You know, I was looking at the cover of the book on Amazon, and I love the cover, but it's a little less in your face than the last one. Was that on purpose?
4: Well, I don't think a bookstore would carry it. It was too in the face.
2: Which probably helped a lot on Amazon, but maybe not so much in Barnes & Noble.
4: Yeah, well, I didn't expect the book to take off, and so I was just very, very honest with the cover. It was a very visceral, honest cover that caught your attention. What I like about this cover is it also makes a statement. It's like, look, this is not a self-help book. You can the statement makes this is a guy, this is a man making a statement on a wall. Love yourself like your life depends on it. So you can tell, at least you get the sense that this isn't some airy fairy light candles and meditate and take bubble baths <laughs> kind of know. This is like written by a dude who's been in the military, who's built companies, who's been who's climbed mountains, who's done stuff, who actually never thought about these things. End up having to do it to save himself when he was in a bad place and what he's learned. And now you can see, you can apply it to yourself. I basically told them that they were design the cover. Look, I have long hair, but don't make this book look like it was written by a guy with a, with a ponytail. I don't have a ponytail. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not in the woods beating drums. You know, like, I mean, that's fun and everything. But, you know, this is coming from a very practical person who lives life. And so they did capture that, which I really appreciate.
2: Yeah. And I love the practicality of the whole thing is I think there is a lot of, yeah, I hate to use the word woo-woo because I do love a little woo-woo every now and again. But I remember speaking to somebody one time about their kind of view of meditation practice and they had claimed to reach enlightenment. And we were like, well, what's enlightenment mean and how can anyone achieve it? And they were like, you could (laughs) never hope to achieve enlightenment unless it blesses upon you. Yeah, it was more kind of like a they were chosen kind of thing, but I just love when things in self help
4: enlightened by the way
2: yeah yeah well not by any definition that i think i would have but it was just funny cuz there was really kind of no steps it was like you know what's it like to be enlightened and he replied what do you think it's like for a child to have ice cream for the first time and i was like i don't really remember having ice cream for the first time so i really don't know but it's nice to have you know something especially like loving yourself just rooted in such practicality and, and i want to get there too but before we do i'm curious as to what the overall response has been like i mean obviously the first version went hugely viral well the timing too i mean you know we find ourselves kind of maybe about to hit a second wave of a pandemic right now when we're recording this and i imagine that it feels like the universe had to have like lined you up to hit this timing, you know, because the world kind of needs a message like this. I mean, even I admit of having peaks and valleys throughout the whole thing, just when it comes to, you know, my own emotions, I just, I feel like I think the world at large kind of needs something like this. So I'm curious, has the response been different than last time, a little more like clued in to certain aspects of the message or just how's it been? No, it's been the
4: same. In fact, it's been more because what I've noticed is there are no more questions. I used to get a lot of questions before. Because that was my point of writing the Spanish version was like all the cushions people had, they've been resolved. That's been the, one of the biggest things. But like I'm getting the same kind of emails, man, from like all the way from kids to people in the 70s. And then people saying like this book has literally saved my life too. Like I'm loving myself for the first time. My life is finally better for the first time. This that. It's the same response, but without the cushions was telling me I succeeded. Because I go into detail here, like literally walk you step by step by step along with tell you stories along the way that reinforce it from my life, just purely my experience of how to do this. So it was a hell of a challenge that I took on, but I figured if I was going to redo this book and why I set out to redo it was because of all the questions I knew that I owed it to readers that if I'm going to put this book out, I'm going to put out the real deal. And it took seven years of experience to do that. The response has been absolutely amazing. Like. Yeah. Cause you do worry when you put a book out, you know, also like, you know, people who have read the original version say like, okay, yeah, 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 this is way more helpful than the original one was. So that's nice to hear. Cause that's what I set out to do.
2: Yeah, that's incredible. And let's just jump right into, but well, before we do, actually, I've kind of, I was thinking when you were going through the synopsis of your life, are you familiar with the hero's journey?
4: Of course, I man. Every writer is Joseph Campbell.
2: Yeah, I love Joseph Campbell. I was first exposed to him in college and it was a bit of a open-minded period of my life when it just came to like all of the beliefs that I held. And it, it really kind of hit me at a unique time. And I, I'm just curious, has the hero's journey played into your life and kind of what you've Chosen to focus on, I mean, obviously through the company collapsing, but way beyond that, I feel like you almost have to have started and come through a hero's journey to love yourself. And it doesn't have to be a year long saga. It can be any sort of trial. But do you agree with that? Do you think that's kind of a component to the whole thing? Or is it kind of separate?
4: You know, honestly, this is something I've learned by talking to readers and then also not applying and reapplying this to my life. One does not need to be anywhere? You know, we think we have to like hit bottom to want to rise, to really rise. No, (laughs) commitments are made in the moment. You know, commitment's a commitment. It's a matter of follow through. Unfortunately, often we have to hit bottom to make a commitment never again or I'm going to rise. But it doesn't need to be. I mean, literally, life could be going fine. And just how can I be better? I mean, your podcast is a testament to that, you know. One doesn't have to be at ground zero to have to really go have success. You could be at a certain level of success, then go to the next level, then the next level, next level. You know, there's a never-ending spiral here. Same thing here. I hit it by hitting bottom, but no one else has to. The book helps people whether they're bottom or they're rising. Hmm. As far as hero's journey, and I think we all live hero's journeys in our lives. That's why Joseph Campbell, the Hero with a Thousand Faces, the book really took off, was because of this, and now you see it's in every true story. Star Wars is the classic hero's journey. The Matrix is the classic hero's journeys. you know, fairy tales are the classic hero's journeys. We all go through different variations of it at different times in our life. It is the human journey. It's not even the hero's journey, it's the human journey. And we are the hero of our own story.
2: Yeah, very powerful words. And I think, you know, I love the idea that you really don't have to be at rock bottom to rise. I I think that's something that's Kind of in some ways counterintuitive, but when you say it, you're like, well, duh. But it's just, it's almost like you need to have that pointed out, or at least maybe I've got the glasses of my own ignorance on right now, but very impactful. So let's dig in. So, what are some of the practical steps where we can learn how to love ourselves?
4: <laughs> well, so here's the thing I mean, I'll, 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 <laughs> there's a reason why I wrote a very big, like an expanded version book about it. I wrote a book about it it's very hard to get someone to like just show them in an audio interview how to do it. And there's a process and it's a process I've refined over seven years, right? And it is nothing rocket science about it, it's just an internal process, but it comes down to a very simple, something I learned over time, first you start with for forgiving yourself and I'm an exercise, you know, one can do it, it's a very simple one that I've done over the years, to forgive myself because before you move into your future, you got to look at the past and what is the weight you're carrying, you're carrying the weight of the past. You got to forgive yourself for what you're carrying. And it's like anything in life, man, it's something that you have to do consistently. We don't just forgive ourselves once and then we're just free forever. We carry on more. We pick up more baggage because it's the human journey. you forgive yourself, then making a commitment like I did making the vow, then there's the practical steps I did to actually put the vow to actually love myself. That I didn't read books. I didn't watch videos. I wasn't like, I was basically in a desperate place. And all I did was work on in my inside and whatever shifted Shifted made me feel better. I went deeper down the rabbit hole. If it didn't, I threw it aside. The only filter being it was all towards loving myself. And so then it's all these things that I've done over time, and I walk, you know, walk you through it on how to do them. And they all build upon each other. There's certain that I think core foundational, and then there's all these other ones that I, you know, I talk about how look, you can do these, and these are these are almost like maintenance. Like there's one very simple one that I think encapsulates in many ways. What the whole thing's about. And I call it 10 breaths. And it's something that I do all the time, right? This is all from my own experience testing it on myself, which is you know, throughout the day, I will pause and I would take 10 deep breaths, but they have to be deep and slow and purposeful. Like I'm literally taking a break from everything else, right? But I'm gonna be breathing throughout the day, might as well give myself this time of 10 breaths. And with the in-breath, I feel love for myself coming in. I feel light. From above, coming in, I feel love. I feel myself covered with light and love. And with the outbreath, I let go of whatever comes up inside. Whatever it comes up, it could be gunk, it could be this or that, whatever negative thing, positive thing. I just let go. Breathe in love a light, let go. 10 times. That's it. What you'll find is that after doing a certain amount of time, you find that what naturally comes out is a feeling of gratitude. A feeling, you can't help it. So it becomes like a cycle of breathing in love, breathing out gratitude. You carry this with you, and it's a great way to just pause and reset, pause and reset, pause, and reset. And what you're also doing is you're just building mental grooves you know it's it's neuroscience, like neurons that fire together wire together, and you if you're doing it with emotion and feeling, it's going to be faster, and eventually these grooves run on their own. Most of our habits and beliefs and patterns and thoughts are actually old grooves that just keep on running. most of our mental chatter is just an old groove you know that we think we're thinking, but no, we're just kind of remembering thoughts, and we're just old grooves running themselves. So this is consciously setting in new grooves. And that's what the whole thing is designed around. It's consciously setting these grooves on loving myself to the point where it just becomes my natural state of being. One thing I, you know, I think is very easy to share and one can apply right away is that 10 breath exercise. And it's not going to hurt you. Worst case for 10, what is it, 15 seconds of 10 breaths or 20 seconds of 10 breaths, you just sat around feeling good about yourself. And we can fake any emotion. So just like feel the love. It feels awkward in the beginning, but do it for a few days. And after a while, it just becomes like the most natural thing. And so that kind of tells us that we actually create these feelings within ourselves and we have more control over our inside than we believe. And that we don't have to wait for the, our external environment to make us feel something. We can do that internally. And when we do that, another thing I've learned is that just life gets better. Without us, the life just starts to kind of mold itself to whatever it is the experience inside. That's just something I've observed again and again in my life. I don't have the exact knowledge why it's the way it is I just look at it as that's the nature of reality
2: yeah i think it's so true i feel like one of the things that people don't pay attention enough to is is kind of their internal state and like you said some of these grooves and some of this mental chatter they might be having I always likened it to people always say, I don't want to get too far in my head. And then when I first started trying to go kind of down this road and, and I started to feel the changes in my internal state, you start to realize, well, your mind's just kind of like a room, right? If you don't like spending time in that room, well, move the furniture around, paint that thing, like change it a little bit and make it somewhere you like to be where when you say, well, you know, I'm getting in my head, that's that's kind of a good thing, not a bad thing.
4: I completely agree. And that's one of the things I like about your podcast is that you focus on practical stuff, right? Actionable stuff. And that's one of the things I'm a big believer in. It's like, don't tell me to love myself. That's just pandering, right? Mm-hmm. Tell me exactly how to do it. Tell me step by step how to do it so I can do it. Don't tell me to like get in shape. Tell me step by step how to do it. Tell me exactly what to eat, what not to eat. Give me the map. Because ultimately we all know how we should be feeling, how we should be eating or whatever. But it's one thing knowing hypothetically, it's another thing to know practically and then applying that practical, then it becomes our experience. I and mean, when it becomes our experience is when it becomes powerful.
2: Yeah, I totally agree. I just real quick, if you don't mind, I'll share with you a personal experience of this. But I remember when I first started trying to make some of these changes, and it was actually around the time I'd read Love Yourself Like Your Life Depends On It. And I was really for the first time getting into like meditation and really changing my internal state and trying to tell myself that, that I loved myself and that I was trying to just take better care of my insides. I had always had this strange belief that I didn't really know was there until spending a lot of time inside basically thinking that, you know, if I didn't make X or if I didn't achieve Y or people didn't look at me a certain way, everyone would leave me. And I didn't really realize that I had that thought and like wasn't worthy of love and all that. And there was a certain point where I had kind of, I was in a bit of a a transition in life. I wasn't exactly sure what my next chapter was going to be, kind of found myself out to sea without a paddle. And I was sitting there at one point Trying to like do a little bit of breath work and just thinking about things. And honestly, my anxiety was like hitting a peak. I was sweating. I started to dig and really lean into those emotions. And I don't know what happened in the universe. I don't know what hit me, but I had this realization that as long as I liked me and as long as I like loved myself, that was really enough. And everyone else, my external accomplishment should not be what dictates how much I love myself or what i expect others to love me and if they leave me because of xyz and there's a certain external status then they didn't love me in the first place but what really mattered was loving yourself because that should be enough for you to feel confident being you and so since it was just a moment i like opened my eyes and i had been crying i called up some friends i called people that i really respect and was like listen dude I don't need people to love me. Like, I don't need people to love me because if I love me, then people will love me anyways. And the response was so anticlimactic. It was like, yeah, dude, what are you? Like, are you high? What's going on here, man? And I'm like sitting here crying. Oh, I get it. Finally, this is enough. But for the longest time, just due to some past experiences in my life, it was like if I didn't do a certain thing or make enough money, it it just I felt like everyone would leave me. And I kind of realized that's not really what love is.
4: Dude, that's beautiful. And look, you had an experiential moment, and that's when it's transformative. It's easy. You know, yeah, duh, everyone knows this theoretically. But until you know something experientially, it can't change you. You know, so you had a beautiful experiential moment. And what you're struggling with is something we all struggle with. We all have our things of where we don't think we're good enough or whatever in whatever way. Because Especially when we compare ourselves to the world, because there's always been someone better than us at something and someone worse than us at something. So it's got to be like, what's your measure for yourself versus your measure against someone else?
2: I just feel like what you said there, I mean, the measure for yourself is what really matters. And at the end of the day, as long as you can live with yourself and as long as you can love yourself, then that's really all that matters in life, right? And I, I mean, of course, you know, there are things that matter, but really when it comes to your happiness and your well-being and your internal state, that it really simplifies it. But that's all that really matters. Yeah. Yeah. Easier said than done, right? <laughs> well, let's get into that a little bit then. So I also, I feel like, you know, I talk to listeners all the time and one of the big things that they want us to dig in on and like help develop content around is how do you maintain these things, right? Like I, I once heard it said at a conference that, you know, if all you do is attend this conference and you buy a couple of books, but you don't do anything, all you really have is an expensive hobby, right? So, How do we go about maintaining the love that we find for ourselves? I find myself all the time kind of falling into little habits and routines that might last a couple of weeks that, you know, admittedly don't have the kind of impact as loving myself does. But how do you kind of maintain the love for yourself through the different seasons of life and the different challenges that might arise?
4: That's a great question. And actually, that's one of the themes I expound on the expanded version is working on your mind is exactly like working on your body. You can get in shape. You can work out hard for, let's say, for a year, eat a great diet, work out every day, and by the end of the year, be like transformed. Or you can even do that in a month at a time, right, if you go extreme. But if you stop and just lie around and eat bonbons for a year, what do you think is going to happen? <laughs> yeah, Why is the mind any different? The mind is actually even more plastic. The mind slips even further, and I actually share my own examples. Like, look, I'm human, and I'm the one who came up with this for himself, wrote a book about it, actually, with a poster, trying to look at me, how I screwed up and look at the results, and the look at how we have to redo it again, right? And that's the rub, man. That's the secret. The secret is to make it into a practice, into a daily thing. Why, why is meditation a practice? Why They don't say, like, meditate once every full moon. No, like they say, meditate every day. It's the mind. The mind is the most slippery thing there is. With anything worth doing, especially if it's internal, but if you just want to even use the body and making your body better, it has to become a conditioned practice that you do daily, day in, day out. And that just over time becomes your natural way of being. And then you can slide if you want, because like if you get it, once you get in a shift, you can slide for a while eating donuts and bonbons, right? Eventually it'll start to show and eventually those gains will be gone, right? So same thing with the mind. You don't necessarily, with the mind, actually you have the grooves there. It's actually, unle- you know, what they call muscle memory the mind has even stronger. The neurons that have wired together, they're not gone. It's just that the less they're used, the more the pathways run the other way. So. It's just consistency, man. It's a secret. It's a secret to life. It's a secret to building a great company. It's like building day in, day in, get up day in day out, do the work, do the work. Writing a book, get up, face the blank page, write the book, write the book. You know, it's a secret to life. It's consistency. Same thing here. I would say a secret to success. No one I know just showed up and built a company in two days and exited for a billion dollars. You know what I mean? It's literally the same thing for the inner game. In fact, I would say the inner game is the most important because that affects everything. And it's the one we pay the least attention to. It's the one I used to pay the least attention to, right? I just assumed it was a certain way. Whereas if you start from there, you just notice everything else gets better.
1: VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients.
2: As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop.
1: Learn more at meta.com/slash metaverse impact.
0: Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows.
2: It reminds me of all the overnight successes people talk about, right like all you see is the exit for two billion you don 't see the i mean i, I love that 's why I love the picture of jeff Bezos when he 's like sitting in that little crummy apartment with yeah, like a spray paint a spray painted part. thing that says Amazon. No one cared about that at that point, but you know I mean now obviously things went quite well, but i just I feel like too often we glorify the outcome and not so much the work which. Which actually dovetails great and another question of mine, but I know you've had kind of this perspective you've shared before. This you are the effort, not the outcome. Kind of expand on that for us a little bit, because obviously we're going to experience failure when we go through life. If you're pushing yourself, that is, if you're doing things worthwhile, you're probably going to fail now and again. What does it mean to say, you know, you're not the outcome, but rather you're the effort?
4: Well, it's something I've learned the hard way in building companies in Silicon Valley. You know, like what, you learn just how much of success is based on luck. You can have the best team in the world, or you can have the worst team in the world, and it just happens Google just makes a right turn on one particular product direction that either destroys you or makes you worth a billion dollars, right? Nothing to do with you, right? They don't even know you exist. This happens more times than not. I've had friends who literally, they were about to shut a company down. I know one case I'm thinking, shut the company down because they're running out of money, and they couldn't raise their money, and the day before, they got corp dev call from Yahoo, And they'd have for like $400 million. Oh my God. (laughs) So what's the difference there? The company was still the same, right? In fact, it was about to be shut down. Investors didn't believe it anymore. And just, Yahoo just decided, look, we need to own that vertical or whatever they were building, right? Mm -hmm. It's like so much of that is so, but what I learned at Harvard was I defined myself by the outcome. Was it successful or not? If it was successful, I was a success. If it was, if it failed, I was a failure. Versus in the end, the effort was the same right? So in the end, what you control is your effort and you do consistently over time, you will have success. But if you start making yourself, let your outcome dictate your sense of self, then you very much fall into that, what they call despair, whatever, all the garbage that entrepreneurs deal with, which I've dealt with myself, purely based on how things are going. You shouldn't base it on how things are going. You should base it on what you're doing. Are you stepping up to the table? Because that's all you can do in the end, right? And you can create that luck, but But there's so many events, the startup world, especially because everything happens so fast. The startup world is one of the rare things in the world where you can build a zero to billion dollar company a year and exit. You know, it's happened. Instagram is an example, right? Now, Instagram, when they first started, those guys used to sit a couple of tables away from me at this place I used to work out of. And they were two guys and they built this app called Bourbon. And most people don't talk about that. Most people just talk about the Instagram one that became billionaire, you know, sold for a billion in a year. Well, then an app called Bourbon for a couple of months, which was kind of being used, but not really going anywhere, which is death in the product world, in the app world, right? And what they did was they actually decided to, this was kudos to them, you know, they look at it, and say, okay, we're going to strip everything out and just leave the one thing that people seem to be using more often than not, which was the photos and filters part. And they put it out as a separate product. And within a weekend, that thing had skyrocketed, right? Now, no one talks about bourbon beforehand, which was failing, which was going nowhere. It was that iteration that did that took off that was called Instagram. And so entrepreneurship is full of that. So if if all you're doing is making a sense of self worth about is bourbon doing well or not versus what am I going to do about it? That's my sense of self. Then you're also more likely to have the success as well.
2: Yeah, that's that's so true. I think just there's so many examples. And I'm I'm curious too, though, I I was thinking real quickly as we were talking, I'm going to play devil's advocate with you right here. And I want to go back to loving yourself real quick. Are there any situations where you may not need to love yourself or where you shouldn't love yourself?
4: Look, love yourself is more of the way I've experienced is more of a state of being. And it's not like I'm sitting around taking bubble like we said. i sit around taking bubble baths, and that's, <laughs> that's self care. So like defining love is more of a, self- a way of being where you're creating and generating an internal state that makes you feel love within, and that's purely a, generated by you, not by the, uh, the outside world. And you walk around feeling that way, you will feel you will be better in every way, even if you're being an ass. What I found is loving yourself makes you a better person. It doesn't make you an ass. In fact, it'll pull you out of being an ass. If you generally work on feeling good and loving yourself, you're less likely to be an ass to others. More likely you're glad to be an ass when you're like, you're not feeling good. I've never come across a situation in my life where I thought, well, loving myself really sucked at that moment.
2: (laughs) If you're concerned about loving yourself, you know, you would reasonably assume you probably have enough compassion to hope that others love themselves too, which would keep you from being kind of an ass.
4: Look, you don't become a perfect human being by loving yourself. You know, you just become better, a much better version of yourself.
2: That's all it is. Yeah, which I think is something everyone strives to do.
4: Yeah, and it's an inner game, man, which everyone forgets. Like, the most important game is the inner game.
2: Oh, they're the hardest games, though, aren't they? Of course it's the hardest game. <laughs> That's the why most, most important. people
4: will, like your enlightenment guy with this. I mean, like, I've actually studied with Buddhist monks in uh, Mustang Valley in Nepal, which is where like that that just opened up recently, which is where the hardcore, like the mystic monks, I started with some of them who actually who teach the Dalai Lama. None of these guys sit around smirk about being enlightened. You know, anyone who sits around smirking about being enlightened is far from it. I'm not a fan of people doing that because it tells you that the thing is I'm special. I feel this way because I'm special. If it's available to one human and then it's an internal game, it's available to every human. You just have to do the inner work. You know, there's nothing special about enlightenment, what they call enlightenment. I've actually studied it. It's just a dissolution of the self. There's nothing special about it. In fact, like one of the best phrases I've ever heard, I think was, I think the Buddha said, he said, truly, I have gained nothing from total enlightenment.
2: (laughs) I love that. That's awesome because it gets to like the core of it all. That's real. Bingo. That's real. right. So Kamal, you've been really generous with your time today. It's been great to have you on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw you a couple last, not rapid fire by any means, but just quick questions just to give us a little deeper, deeper view into you. So what's one thing you do for yourself every day?
4: Well, I do some of the practices I wrote about in the books. They're core practices, including a little tiny like seven, 10 minute meditation that I do. That's, that's basically, it's like doing the 10 breaths, but for like seven, eight minutes. That's something I do every day. It's just working on my mind. I knew during the quarantine, something I fall in love with is Olympic rings, you know, gymnastic rings. So I couldn't go to the gym and I've discovered I don't want to go to gym anymore because the Olympic rings is the best workout and it's play. I love them. So I do those about four times a week. I would do them every day if I could, but it's not good for your body to be doing that
2: every day. Yeah. You must have started from a pretty solid base though. I've looked at some of those CrossFit videos. I don't know if I've got the gymnastic body or not.
4: No, no, no. I started from scratch. Remember, like I almost died in October and I had to rebuild my body. And so... I started from scratch, and I don't do CrossFit-style Olympic rings, where I just looked around and saw, like, in gymna- Olympic gymnastics, if you look, the men are always so jacked, but in those, within the men who compete, they compete in different things, like on parallel bars, on floor, and this and that, but out of all those jack guys, you know the ones who are just the most jacked, like on muscles upon muscles? It's always the guys who do Olympic rings. There's no swinging, none of that, you know, I mean, nothing gets crushed, but that's a whole different methodology, but I just decided to go old school. And also something I can do forever, which is like very graceful. Your muscles are being used every moment. There's no momentum. You know, like if you use momentum too much in Olympics, you will get dinged. It's a lot of muscular control. And it's become my new favorite thing. Highly recommend anyone. 50 bucks on Amazon. Get yourself a set of rings. Go to YouTube. There's all these great... People like showing you how to work out using rings and it'll change your life. It really is my favorite thing these days.
2: going to go ahead and put myself down for some Olympic rings, $50. Yeah. Rings. <laughs> and,
4: look, you can hang there from a tree branch. You can hang there from anywhere. You have a gym with you wherever you go.
2: I definitely have a little bit of a garage set up right now. I've had some random weights here and there, but I got to tell you, I'm probably not going to go back to the gym. I've already canceled the subscription. I I feel like I get a lot more sweating it out in the garage in 105 degrees than I ever did you know, in the gym with a thousand people walking around.
4: It's going to be interesting, man, because once things open up, so many of us used to think the gym was the only way to get fit. And we found that there's alternatives and that we might like the alternative better than being inside a space with a bunch of other smelly people. Where at rings, I do outdoors. I'm getting the sun. It's an outdoor workout. It's been a game changer for me. I could just go back sporting my rings forever. So you'll have to like get me off the subject.
2: (laughs) All right. Fair enough. I'm going to take this back to the first thing you talked about in the conversation. So you mentioned when you were trying to become a writer originally, you just immersed yourself in the greats. When you did that, or you tried to learn from the greats, was it Total immersion. Did you have kind of a way you went about reading some of these classics and then trying to apply them to what you might write in the future? Or did you just consume, consume, consume? What was kind of the framework you used to try to maximize the benefit of reading all of these just literature, all this literature and all these classics?
4: I consume, but then I deconstructed. You have to at some point see how do they make the magic happen? I didn't want to read books about the deconstruction. I wanted to figure it out myself because as you learn it yourself, you internalize it, you know, rather than someone just telling you. At least that's been my process. So I would just read and start to sit like, how do they do sentence structures and so forth? Like yesterday, I'll give you an example. It's not just me. I started a friend of mine yesterday. He's a very successful screenwriter. You know, I'm sure you've seen movies that he's written. The guy's in demand. He makes seven figures per screenplay. It's legit. And I called him up yesterday because I've been reading screenplays. I was like, dude, you know, I know how I taught myself to write fiction and nonfiction how did you learn to write scripts? What was your journey to get to the point? And he said, he said, I just read the scripts of every movie I loved again and again, and then I wrote a lot of shitty scripts. That's the process. I wrote a lot of shitty graphs, I corrected the, collected a lot of rejection letters, and you get better by absorbing yourself in the ones you love, deconstructing in your own way, and then just doing your own writing, and then getting better and better and better.
2: I figured there had to be some sort of method behind the process for sure. And it reminds me of Tim Ferriss, too. Like, how do you write a book? You just write two shitty pages a day.
4: I mean, look, and all first drafts, having been said, are excrement. It should free you to realize that what you're going to write is going to be garbage. And then your job is to actually hammer and chisel and find the nuggets in that garbage. That's what separates real writers from amateurs.
2: So forgive me if I'm getting a little too deep, but who do you most look up to in your life and why? I don't know about the look up to. I don't really look up to people.
4: I respect people. I appreciate people. But look up as in what sense?
2: I guess respect is kind of what I'm looking for. I'm thinking of, for example, you know, obviously people look up oftentimes to family members, but I've had a number of mentors and not even the ones that you would think of that have made an impact on my life that I really respect and kind of look up to. So it doesn't necessarily have to be someone that's in your life currently, but just maybe someone that's had an impact or has done something that you really, really respect that you might know personally.
4: Can I know that person personally?
2: I guess we'll expand the question. And so maybe you don't have to know them personally. Does that help narrow it in or does that make it a more difficult one?
4: Like for writing, it was Hemingway. You know, he really worked on the craft. I I got obsessed. I mean, read his biographies about him and so forth, learned a lot about him. And for writing, that was my model. Also like Coelho, you know, just how he weaves in spirit into his work. And the work is all, you know, The Alchemist was a really important work for me at that time in my life. And I read it. It was straight out of college. And I read it. and It was just the perfect timing for it. You know how books often find us at the right time. And that was one of them. I'm fortunate I know some pretty impressive people in my life, but I wouldn't say like I look up to them. I, these are people i would learned from and they learned from me. I don't know about the whole look, honestly, about looking up. Maybe I look up to who I consider the masters, but the masters were people like Hemingway. And if he was alive today, I may not look up to him. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Sure. I look at them because of what they left behind and what it took. I don't know if that answers your question, man. It's a very interesting question.
2: I actually kind of respect the deconstructing of the question because it kind of forced me to more think about what exactly I mean. I feel like there's an emotional attachment to when I say look up to, but after kind of deconstructing it, I don't know if my emotion with that phrase was even the correct one.
4: Yeah, because I've met some amazing people, man, but I wouldn't say like I look up to them or want to be them or anything, but I like learning from them. But I like to learn from different
2: people, you know? There's no one
4: I want to be that person. No, I just want to be a better me.
2: There we go. That's the answer right there.
4: I think that's the answer for all of us, man. That's all we got. That's all we can be.
2: Yeah. Cause in, and even thinking about it, just having this kind of awkwardly paced conversation, like (laughs) looking up almost implies that you see yourself as lesser and that kind of goes against the whole premise of loving yourself. So if anything, now that I'm getting real deep on you here, brother, I'd say the only person that you should look up to is maybe the you of tomorrow. Right. Hopefully. Because you want to continue to love yourself and evolve. So really, the only person you should look up to is the more educated, the more enlightened, to use a word we've thrown around a few times, but basically the better version of yourself that you're going to be in the future. I don't know.
4: I wouldn't even look up to that guy because I know his (laughs) faults, man. It's not like he got rid of his faults. I know myself way too well. That's true. I respect things about people and I like to learn from them. But I wouldn't put anyone above me. And I don't know if that's loving myself or that's just what I've learned in life, man. Everyone's sausage is made out of dirty parts, you know, and there's no perfect one. There's no perfect person. So when you realize that, you kind of like stop the any hero worship or whatever. You just realize everyone's sausage is made from crud. And you just learn from them to be better, whatever you can to be better at you.
2: Man, it's so funny. So with the release of every episode, as, as we do the last one, we always submit like an image with a favorite quote. My quote for the image in this episode is going to be everyone's sausage is made of nasty. Parts.
3: <laughs> That's awesome. Expect I love that
2: it. coming I, August 2020.
4: That's, I love it, man. I love it. I put my foot in my mouth all the time and I'm proud of it. You know, so amen. I, amen. I love
2: this. All right. So I got two little last ones for you, but what's your favorite movie? You know, I love animated movies,
4: man. Kung Fu Panda. I love... yeah. There's such great wisdom that gets put in the kids' movies. And they're really to that. Themselves. Yeah. Even Moana. Moana I loved. It. it was beautiful. Yep. Her relationship with the grandmother and how in the end it was the island that had been taken the fire away and it was this, the monster was also the god, the same creature, mm-hmm. just one slight shift. You know, you just to make a slight shift and then the, then the beautiful version came out. It was just stunning. You know, I could also tell you about like The Matrix, The Fight Club. Those are also some of my favorites, but... Man, I tell you, these animated movies is where the best storytelling is done these days.
2: What can I say except, true welcome. Oh. Who could forget the impeccable performance by Dwayne The Rock Johnson?
4: Yeah, I'm a huge fan of the guy, man.
2: Yeah, me as well. It's funny, I've got a 19-month-old, and she is just... I mean, I've watched Moana dozens and dozens of times, this week alone, and Frozen That's too. Funny. You get to the point where you watch them so much, you really start to overanalyze like every aspect of it, but it's actually kind of fun because every single one of those movies is like the textbook hero's journey with its own little twist. Yes. So it's actually, it's funny because I'm the guy at dinner parties now, everybody's got a glass of wine, and I'm like, if you really think about it, Elsa's the villain, and they're trying <laughs> to keep her from, from being evil the whole time by trying to express her love but her parents actually and like everyone's like dude just it's a movie about a frozen i gotta watch it again but it's actually worth analyzing because it is just such good storytelling there's too much nuance in it but all right kamal you've been so good with your time i've enjoyed every part of this conversation not only the practical digging in but also just kind of shooting the shit with you has been a lot of fun we should get together and watch movies sometime but before we sign off
4: Your daughter, she and I will watch the same,
2: pick the same movie. Yeah, man, we'll all be fine with the same movie. It'd be totally cool. We'll have some popcorn, no big deal. But the last question we always ask, and we asked you last time as well, but you know, if you could leave the audience today with just one piece of homework, something to do, you know, after they finish listening to go out and, you know, tackle, what would it be that you would ask them to do?
4: Define tackle.
2: A blunt force running into other, I'm just kidding. What's something you would challenge them to do over the next seven days that they could bring into their life that would have an impactful change?
4: Do the 10 breaths. It'll shift you. It's subtle. It's powerful. And that's the best things. The best things don't involve a lot of running around and doing a lot of like crazy stuff. The best things are very simple and very, very doable. Do the 10 breaths and get a set of Olympic rings. Those two.
2: We will definitely, if you don't mind, (laughs) send me over your Olympic rings after we get off and I'll link them in the show notes and we'll make sure that the folks can go out there and at least in their minds do some Olympic rings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll
4: find them on Amazon. I'll send that to you.
2: Well, Kamal, thank you again for the time. It's been great to have you back on the show. You're always welcome. If we can ever help, feel free to reach out. But thank you for sharing all this wisdom and a lot about your journey with us and the listeners today.
4: I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. And then for everyone who's listening, thanks for listening.
2: Thank you so much for listening to The Science of
3: Success. We created the show to help you, our listeners, master evidence-based growth. I love hearing from listeners. If you want to reach out, share your story, or just say hi, shoot me an email. My email is matt at successpodcast.com. That's M-A-T-T at successpodcast.com. I'd love to hear from you, and I read and respond to every single listener email.